listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good morning. All right, let's try it again. Good morning. Good to see everybody. For those of you responsible ones that remember that we moved up an hour, glad you can be here today. If you have a Bible, let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Was that not just phenomenal time in worship this morning? I mean, it always is, but goodness, that song, I've never heard that song before. The, uh, what's it called? Love Arrested? Death Arrested. Yeah, Death Arrested, Love Arrested. I guess that mat- words matter. Death Arrested, that was phenomenal, uh, so good. Thank you, band, as always, for leading us. Y'all always stir my heart towards the Father. Um, hey, if, uh, if it's your first time with us, welcome. So glad that you're here. Our hope is that you go from feeling like a guest to feeling like family. Um, one of the greatest ways you can do that is by getting involved in what we call a missional community. We'll talk more about that after the service is over. But if you don't want to just hop into a missional community uh, but still want more information about us, you can go to our website, fellowshipparagold.com, or you can come and talk to me at the door if you want to, and I can try to give you some info. Or um, if you want, you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash fellowshipparagold, and we can try to uh, get you connected that way. And so, again, uh, if you're a guest... You can relax. We don't expect anything from you other than you just come um, uh, being open to hear from the Spirit and, and what He has for you through the preaching of the Word and through the music. And so John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And, and um, God did something to me this past week He hasn't done in my, uh, I guess, three and a half years now. I've been preaching almost every week here at the cinema. And uh, usually I'm done with my sermon or pretty close to it by around uh, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. But at Wednesday afternoon, had everything typed out, knew exactly where I was going, had my illustrations in, all of that. And uh, the Spirit said, I don't want you to preach that. And so um, Thursday morning, got up, had no idea what I was going to preach or what we would do. Thought we might have to have a testimony service here or something, you know, to fill the time. And so... um, but he led me to John chapter 4, and it really is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, and uh, I hope it's a great encouragement to you. It has so encouraged my heart this week, and uh, hope it encourages you as we kick off this new series together. So John chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put uh, the, the words on the screen for you, but uh, if you do have one, you can look with me, starting here in verse 1. John 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself actually did not baptize... Um, or only his disciples, he left Judea, speaking of Jesus, departed and went to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob that he had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus worried as he was with his journey, or from his journey, he was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it possible that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did the sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, 
uh, go call your husband to come here. The woman answered, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers, they worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, uh, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled of what he was talking with, that he was talking with this woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water her water jar, and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. I'm going to ask that you pray with me one more time before we dive into the text. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We know that it's active and it's living. It's as powerful as if you were standing here today speaking it to us. But we know that it is just words on a page apart from your spirit at work this morning. Please be gracious to us. Use this word. Transform us with your gospel from the inside out for our good and your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I think there are two things in life that you can't really prepare for. One of those things being marriage. And uh, if you ever say, I'm ready for marriage, you're probably definitely not ready for marriage, okay? And so you can do premarital counseling, you can read books, but really only marriage can prepare you for marriage. Amen? Um, the second thing I think we really can't prepare for is not only being married, but having kids. Now, I remember whenever Megan came to me and told me that we were pregnant with our first child, Nora Kate, and uh, I remember whenever she told me this, I was excited but I was very naive because I was under the impression that other parents that had gone before us really kind of blew out of proportion how big of a deal and how big of a difference kids make in life. And so um, all through the pregnancy, you know, we're having ultrasounds and we're hearing the heartbeat and I'm excited, but I'm convinced that, you know, we're going to go through all of this and after the delivery, we're just going to go home and everything's going to be the same, right? But then we go to the hospital and uh, Megan goes into labor and... Um, uh, I'm standing at her head, not at the end zone, and so I'm, I'm kind of just like hanging out and, uh, you know, still pretty calm, but all of a sudden the doctor begins to say, she's almost here. And, and whenever he said that, there was just something about it that, I mean, my life just shifted in that moment. I mean, it absolutely did. Now, for, for you guys in here, I don't know if it, was, if it was like this for you and your wife was pregnant, but my wife always felt like, obviously, she's pregnant and there's a real human being inside of me. Though I knew we were going to have a kid, it still felt very surreal. Does that make sense? It's like, I mean, I know this is real, but it, it doesn't really feel real. But whenever I laid eyes on Nora for the very first time, I mean, it literally transformed my entire heart. I mean, everything, right, it just all of a sudden shifted. It was just different. And I remember whenever the nurse came in a couple days later and was like, hey, now you can go home. Like, things really 
change, right? Because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, like, are you serious? Like, you really trust me and my wife with this human being? Like, are you going to go with this nurse? Like, they're like, are you really going to let us do this? And so um, for first-time parents, you know this. And now, like, whenever we see the first-time parents, we can laugh about it, right? But, like, you were so overly cautious with your first child. And so, you know, Nora was born in January. So we put, like, nine layers of clothes on her before we took her out of the hospital. When we went and put her in that little spacecraft they call a car seat, we, like, checked it five or six times to make sure we had everything just right. Whenever I drove home, I was, like, 10 to 15 miles an hour below the speed limit. And if you've ever been with me driving, you know, that's a huge deal. And so I'm, like, being super cautious, right? Like, don't want to wreck. And then, you know, like, whenever you have a kid, like, just going to the grocery store, begins to be like this huge task, right? I mean, used to, you just go, but with your first kid, you literally look like you're packing to climb Mount Everest, right? Because like, you've got to have everything possible. I mean, you've got three bottles, you've got a burp cloth, you've got changes of clothes, you've got blankets, you've got toys, you've got medicine, you've got gas drops, I mean, you've got passies. God, the list goes on and on and on. And so we're sitting there, and it's probably not three or four days after we came home that I'm laying in bed. I know I'm a slow learner, but I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I have this exact thought. This changes everything. Yeah, I mean, you thought I would have known that whenever Megan said she was pregnant, but all of a sudden it hit me, right? Like whenever Nora was actually like, this changes everything. Like it changes my schedule. (laughs) It changes how I handle my finances. It changes how I work. It changes uh, my marriage. It changes my whole thought process, right? Because you know that in every conversation... There's always, like, we all stink at social skills. Let's just face it after we have kids, okay? Because, like, half your brain is on your kid all the time. And so, like, it changes your worldview. It changes how you think. I mean, everything is different. And listen, the reason I share that is because, listen to me, when Jesus enters into your life, the same thing happens. Um, When Jesus goes from just being an image in your head or some sort of abstract thought, I promise you, when he enters into your world, he changes absolutely everything everything. And that's what this whole series is about. We're going to be in this series for the next three weeks leading up to Easter. And this is exactly what Jesus gets at in this text today. That's why I think the Spirit led me to this. If you look again in verse 13, look what Jesus says to this woman at the well. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, if we get what Jesus just said, it should blow our minds, especially if we understand what he said in its proper context. If you look again at verse 3, notice John is recording this, and he's very intentional about the words that he puts into this account. In verse 3, what does he say happened? He says, Jesus is in Judea, but he departed Judea to go to Galilee. And look what he says in verse 4. And it says that Jesus had, Jesus, that's an important word, he had to pass through Samaria. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you, but keep this in mind. Jesus Christ is a Jew. Jews hated Samaritans. In fact, they hated Samaritans so much that if they saw a Samaritan going to pass them on the road, literally they would go and get into a muddy ditch and crawl through a ditch for the sake of not having a Samaritan shadow fall on them. Like, Samaritans were social outcasts at best. The Jews considered them to be absolutely filthy and disgusting. They were basically less than humans in the eyes of the Jews. And so, therefore, if a Jew ever wanted to travel from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea, you know what they would do? 
They would literally take the long way around Samaria. They would go to the east or they would go to the west. They would, they would make the, the journey more difficult on them just so they didn't have to travel through Samaria. So whenever John says Jesus, in verse 4, had to go through Samaria, what John is trying to do is get our attention. What John is doing is he's saying there was something so compelling, something so important, so essential that Jesus felt like he absolutely had to go through this place that every other Jew would consider to be the armpit of society. And when we read this story, let me answer this, let's answer this question. What is it that compelled Jesus to go through Samaria? Uh, What is it? that he felt was so important, so special, that he was willing to go to this place that no other Jew was willing to go. And you want to know what the answer is? It's this woman. This woman that no other Jewish man would dare be seen with in public. This is the woman that compelled Jesus to go through Samaria. And here's the thing about this woman. She had really four major marks against her that would keep a Jewish man from wanting to be around her. One is she was a Samaritan, right? Which, again, we just talked about. Like, they were half-breeds. They were considered to be the wrong race. Two, she worshipped a different god than the Jews worshipped. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to you. Like, if someone worships a different god than you today, you might be kind of like, okay, I wish you didn't worship that god, but we can still be cool. For the Jews, if you worshipped a different god than them, like, it created major religious hostility. Because, I mean, a matter of fact, 120 years before this, whenever the Samaritans built a temple in their own area, in their own region, you know what the Jews did? They went and burnt down their temple. Right? They hated the Samaritans for who they worshipped. A third mark that this woman has against her is she's a woman. Now, nothing wrong with women today, nothing wrong with women then, but in this culture, women were second class at best. Did you know that if you were a woman in this culture your testimony couldn't even be used in court because you'd be considered irrational and untrustworthy. Okay? That's the way men considered women in this day. Men, no comments uh, about life today, right? We know, like, if you are with your wife today, you better keep your elbows to yourself. Your lady is rational. She is trustworthy. Do not, um, you know, don't get in trouble in the home over this, okay? So, listen, in in this culture, women seriously were absolutely degraded. In fact, pastors, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they would pray this prayer regularly. It's a true story. Pharisees, religious leaders, super spiritual pastors would pray this prayer. Thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile, but a Jew, that I am not a slave, but free, and that I am not a woman, but a man. Okay, that's the culture here. Jewish men would never be seen around another woman like this in public. And then the fourth mark this woman had against her was she was a big public sinner. Now, in this culture, divorce was a very shameful thing, and it was incredibly shameful for a woman because you know what? Nine times out of ten, the woman would always be blamed for the divorce no matter what. Aren't you ladies glad that you live in 2016, right? And this woman was not just divorced once, not just twice, not just three times, not just four times, but the text that she was divorced five times. And on top of that, she is now living with a man who is not her husband. So men no longer even feel like they should marry this woman. Just use her, sleep with her, and get rid of her when you're done. And women look down on this woman. They look down on her because they think, okay, this is a woman who not only was a failure in her own marriages, but she's a threat now to our marriages because she's sleeping with men who aren't even her husband. So as you can imagine, this woman, she's not accepted before the Jews, and she's also now not even accepted among her own people. Which is why we find her at this well 
some distance from town alone at a very unusual time of day. You see, most women in this day, if they were going to get well from the water, they would go in the morning or they would go in the evening whenever it was cool. And they would go with other women because it was a time for social interaction. But here is this woman at the well by herself in the full heat of the day. She has no one. She's such an outcast among her own people. She has to go to this place when no one else is there so she's not going to be ridiculed. Can you just feel what this woman must have been feeling? And here in the middle of this, Jesus totally ignores all of the cultural, all of the religious, all of the racial, all of the the social barriers. He moves into this woman's life and what happens? As a result of her meeting Jesus, it changes everything. If you look again in verse 29, look how she responds. Actually, in verse 28, it says, So the woman left her jar. She doesn't even care about her jar of water anymore. After she met Jesus, she left her jar. She went away into the town, and she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Here's the reality, guys. When you meet the real Jesus, I'm not talking about when you just come here and you hear about him. Whenever he enters into your world, you see that he is such good news, you cannot help but share this good news with others. Even if you don't know everything about him, even if you don't have all your questions answered, even if you've never had an evangelism class on how to share the gospel, you naturally want to go and share this good news with other people. This is what happened. I, I remember and. um I don't think she's here today. I was hoping Krista was here because she could vouch for this. So y'all know I'm not making it up. But I, I remember whenever I first became a Christian, whenever, whenever God broke into my life, when I met Jesus at 20 years old, one of the first things I did is I got on my Hotmail account. I remember it was jaredap at hotmail.com. Got on my Hotmail email account and emailed every one of my lists that I can. And I just said, look, I know this seems weird, but I've become a Christian. Jesus has saved me. I don't know everything about him. I don't even know much about the Bible. But if you want to get together, I would love to get together and let's just learn more about who Jesus is. I didn't know anything about Jesus, but I knew this, guys. He changed my life. He, he changed me. And therefore, I wanted other people to experience this Jesus. This is what exactly what happens with this woman. She experiences Jesus, and all that she does is just go and tell people about her own story. Then look in verse 39 and verse 42, if you'll look down with me. Look at the result of this woman just sharing her testimony. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus. Why? Because of this woman's testimony. So, verse 40, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The whole reason that we planted this church is because of this right here. We want to see lives transformed by Jesus. That's why we exist. We want to see every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with the real Jesus because we believe he's the good news, not just on Sundays, but to all of life. Here is a woman here, guys, again, like she doesn't need training in how to share the gospel. She meets Jesus, he changes her life, she shares her story, and through the power of the Spirit, it changes an entire city. 
We see later in Acts chapter 8, another one of my favorite passages in the Bible, a, 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 a passage that's been really just kind of a banner for us at fellowship, is, it says that Philip went down to Samaria, and he preached the gospel, and the result was what? There was much joy in the city. Our prayer for Paragold, our prayer for Jonesboro, our prayer for Cleveland, when we send Rusty out to plant, is that we will be a people who proclaim the gospel, who don't just demonstrate the gospel with good works, but we proclaim the gospel with our mouths. And when we do that, we will see life after life being transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is why we exist. And maybe some of you here today, you say, well, I'm not qualified to be a part of something like this. I don't know the Bible very well. I'm not articulate. I don't have a degree in the Bible. If someone asked me a question, I'm afraid I would butcher the answer. Right? I just want to remind you again, who is it that Jesus used here to change an entire city? This woman doesn't have a master's degree. This woman doesn't know any Bible. This woman doesn't even know but about this much about Jesus. But she knows enough to know that he has transformed her life. And I think the reason that, that the Bible includes this, or the reason God includes this in the Bible, is because what he wants us to all see today is, listen, if you want to be changed, if you want to experience true joy and true fulfillment, if you want to then be used by God to change the lives of others, you don't have to be impressive, you just need to trust in Jesus. People who are used most mightily by God are not people who just have a lot of grit. They're people who've encountered a lot of grace. And as a result, they naturally want to share this good news with others. And this is what Jesus is getting at in verse 10. If you look back with him when he's talking to this woman, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now this woman, keep in mind, I mean, she is absolutely shocked right now. Here is a Jewish man who approaches her in the middle of the day and actually asks her for a cup of water. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to you, but, but please just put yourself in the place of this woman. I mean, this is the creator of the world we're talking about here with Jesus. This is the one who is the source of every river, every spring, every lake, every ocean, every drop of rainfall. This is the one right, who needs nothing from anyone. If Jesus wanted a cup of water, he could snap his fingers and get himself a cup of water. So what is going on here in this story? Why is Jesus asking her for a cup of water? And here's why. You've got to get this. Because this is the most dignifying thing a Jewish man could ever do for a Samaritan woman who undoubtedly felt unloved, used, and abused. This blew this lady's mind. She could not believe this would happen. This was such grace to her. And that's why in verse 9, after he asked for a cup of water, which is in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She says, how is this possible? And what is Jesus' response? Again, in verse 10, he responds by saying, salvation is a gift. He's saying, you think this is awesome? You ought to hear about what else I have for you? He says, if you knew who I really am, and I would have asked you for physical water, you know what you would have done? You would have asked me for living water. Now clearly at this point, this lady does not get what Jesus is talking about. She's looking at him with a blank stare, kind of like some of us do, you know, during preaching. Like, huh? You know, it's like... But it's not because Jesus is unclear. 
It's because this woman, her, her eyes have not been opened to who Jesus is yet. She don't get it. She, she doesn't understand what's going on. And not only that, but as you go on, what's interesting to me, as I, I love the patience of Christ here, not only is she confused about what Jesus is saying, but if you will look in verse 16 and 24, we don't have time to read it, but you can you go back and check it out again later. This woman begins to basically try to distract Jesus and, reflect, and deflect him from getting too personal. When Jesus in verse 15, whenever he tells her, hey, you can have living water, in verse 15 she says, how can I have living water? And what is Jesus' response in verse 16, I believe is what it is. In verse 16, yeah, yeah. He says, you can have living water. Verse 15, she says, how can I have living water? And look at Jesus' response. Go, call your husband and tell him to come here. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus knows that it's not really her husband. Jesus knows she's living with a man who is not her husband. And what he's saying is, look, if you really want to experience this living water, you need to own your mess. And you need to bring your mess to me and trust me with it. But what does this woman do? She says, actually, I don't have a husband. The end, period. Let's move on to the next thing. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband, but you've had five in the past, and now the person you're living with is not your husband. And then what does she say? Ah, you're a prophet. Hey, you know, speaking of prophets, did you know our forefathers used to worship here? And I've heard you say worship. Where do you think we should worship at, Jesus? You see what she's doing? What a lot of us church people do whenever we start getting uncomfortable when someone gets to our heart? We try to make it very surface level. And let's just talk theology. Let's talk, you know, about the 930. Like, wasn't that great? You know, like we just like try to change it so nobody gets into our heart. And what Jesus does here is just amazing to me. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't walk away. He just patiently engages in conversation and keeps directing it back to her need for him. And then as we talked about earlier, we, what happens? Eventually, her heart, her eyes are open to who Jesus is. It changes her, and she goes and tells others. Now listen, it is so important that we think about what just happened. Because please hear me. We are in a series we've entitled, This Changes Everything. When Jesus comes into your life, hear me, please. Jesus will change everything. But listen, it's gradual. When Jesus comes into your life, yes, immediately you are fully forgiven of your sin, but you will still struggle with sin. When Jesus comes into your life, you will have faith, but you will still have doubts. You will have answers, but you will still have questions. You will immediately become a child of God, but you will be a child who continues to make messes. And you see, the reason I think this is so important for us to see today is in the midst of all the mess, in the midst of all the struggle and all the sin, Jesus, just like he was with this Samaritan woman, will patiently love you the entire way. This has been such good news to me because, you know, when we think about growth a lot of times, Christian growth, we often think about it like it's mechanical, we think about it kind of like the crossing, right? Whenever we purchased the Red Goose building, we said we're going to remodel it and we're going to turn it into something else. And so Jordan Lane, a guy in our church, a structural engineer, puts together this floor plan. And then you have Brandon Treat, who's the project manager, who comes in and basically says, okay, here's the floor plan. Here's where we want the wall. Build the wall. And what happens? The wall goes up. And we love that because we see results and we see them quickly. Guys, that's not the way Christian growth works. Christian growth is not mechanical, it's organic. Which means Christian growth is not like building a wall, it's like raising a kid. And you know, if you've ever raised a kid, like if you look at your kid, you don't just like see them grow, like right in front of you, right? But then what happens? One day you're sitting with your spouse, your kids come in, you're like, wow, aren't they getting so big? What happened? They were growing. 
You weren't seeing it happen, but sure enough, gradually they were growing. And listen, that's the way it is with gospel change. You have to get that today or you're going to be incredibly discouraged. For some of you in here, you do have the testimony where you're like, you know what, man, one day I was in the back of an El Camino smoking some weed, doing some black tar heroin. Jesus saved me and bam, never touched the stuff again. Awesome. Praise God. That's miraculous. It's not the way it works with everyone. 99.9% of us in here, whenever Jesus saved us, he did change everything, but it has been a process, has it not? We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with unbelief, right? Change is slow, and that's bad news, but the good news is if we will continue to look to Jesus, we will discover that he is patient, that he is kind, and that his grace is sufficient. Amen? Now, that being said, listen. Though change is a slow process, listen guys, though change is a slow process, guess what? It's still a process. What I mean by that is when you meet Jesus, you cannot remain the same. When you meet Jesus, when he enters into your life, it will begin to look different. Things you used to get so angry about, guess what? Slowly but surely, you're not going to get as mad about those things anymore. Things that you used to close your fist around and say, I can't live without this note, like I'm not going to give it up. So surely, guess what happens? Your hand begins to gradually open up. You become more generous. You experience more peace. You experience more joy, right? When Christ comes into your life, he does change you. And that's because whenever Christ comes into your life, whenever you drink the living water that he's talking about, it goes all the way down into the depths of your heart. And as a result, it fills your heart with joy and does begin to change you from the inside out. One of the most refreshing cups of water I've ever had in my entire life was one summer I was doing disaster relief in Florida on the hills of Hurricane Ivan. And we're up on a roof. We were supposed to be getting water by like 9 a.m. And uh, there was a shortage of water because of the hurricane. We're sitting there. 10 a.m. comes around. There's no water. 10.30, 11, no water. I mean, it's like 94 degrees at this point. It's burning hot. And we are baking on the roof. People are getting sick. We're getting lightheaded. We have to get off the roof, try to find a shade tree. And I mean, it was like, it was getting bad. We're trying to call, get water. Eventually... Water comes to us, and when it happens, I mean, we rejoice. We run to this cooler, we get our water, and immediately when I drink the water, you know what happens? <sighs> I'm refreshed, my energy begins to come back, I feel immediately better, and I'm able to get back to working. I mean, the water made all the difference in the world. And you see, here's what Jesus is saying. The reason I share that is what Jesus is saying. Guys, you've got to get this today. This is not... Just preacher talk. This is the words of Christ. What he is saying is, listen, that's what I do for your soul. Have you experienced that today? Not the person next to you or behind your front. Have you experienced that today? Have you met Jesus and been refreshed by him? Jesus says, when you, when you come, you receive from me living water that is so satisfying to the soul, it's like water is to a parched mouth. In other words, what Jesus is saying to us today is, listen, when you come to me, I don't simply save you. I satisfy you. I'm not just good news for your afterlife. I'm good news right now for this life. And if you don't get that, you know what you will do with Jesus? He'll be a ticket at best 
that you use to get out of hell for free. He'll be an accessory. And you will say, how little Jesus do I actually need to get to heaven? How much sin can I actually admit, commit and not go to hell? Your schedule will be barely altered, if at all, by Jesus if you think that he's just a savior but not a satisfier. But if you believe that he really is not just true news but good news, you want to know what happens? It changes everything. It changes your work. It changes your schedule. It changes your finances. I'm telling you guys, it changes your whole life. And those of you who have met Christ are shaking your head right now saying, yes. I grew up in church, and I know you guys have heard this if you've been here for any length of time. I grew up in the church. My dad's been a pastor. I was at church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I read my Bible growing up. I prayed. I prayed. I was involved in youth activities, and I was completely lost. I looked great on the outside, but I was dry on the inside. And therefore, because I was dry with God, what I did is I just said, I got to go try to have my thirst quenched somewhere. And so for me, a big part of that was partying, popularity, and women, especially women. And so I was like, if I had a girl at the time, I was like, man, I'm satisfied. I feel good. If I didn't have a girl, I just kind of plumbed it into this kind of this depression. And many of you have heard my story. Eventually, there was a girl that I, I dated my first couple of years in college, and this girl became my God. She was the one I looked to for joy and satisfaction and fulfillment, but eventually this God said bye-bye, and it crushed me. It devastated me. I remember sitting, and my brother will remember all this. I, I remember sitting in a hospital hallway one time and just praying to God, like, if you would please give me another girlfriend, new friends, and just another city to live in, I will never ask you for anything again as long as I live. And you know what happened? God allowed me to have those things. And I'll never forget just the absolute, just the the bleakness of coming home from a biology class one day and I'm sitting in my room, I'm sitting thinking, God has given me everything I've asked for. He's given me the girl. I've got another girl. He's given me new friends. I've got a new city, and I'm still empty. It was the most depressing feeling I've ever experienced in my entire life. I thought, I literally have everything that the world says I need to be happy, that I think I need to be happy, and I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not fulfilled. Why? Because I believe God, though he could save me, he couldn't satisfy me. I was looking to other things of the world to do for me what only God can do. And in that night, by God's grace, you know what happened? Eventually, I cried out to him in desperation, and I just said, God, like, I can't do this anymore. I, I have no idea where else to go. Like, Please, like, if you are real, be real to me. Come into my life now. And you know what he did? He saved me. And he satisfied me. He absolutely changed my life. And I don't share that with you to, to condemn you if you don't feel that way. I don't share that to make you think I've walked a straight and narrow. Like, man, I, I've had temptation since then. I've had sin since then. I've had hardship, but my purpose for living is different. He changed my life. He, he's given me a joy that I can't even explain to you if you haven't experienced it. I can't put it in you. He, he, he's done things for me. He, he has taken me from trying to make much of myself to making much of Him. Now I want, listen guys, I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to obey him, not out of duty, but out of delight. And I promise you guys, the same will be true for you if you meet the real Jesus. The real Jesus changes everything. You cannot meet him and remain the same. You cannot drink living water and not be changed. He is the water for your dry and weary soul. Can you imagine that day when I was on the roof uh, in, in Florida, if whenever that water came, if I just rushed down there real quick and there's like a big cup and I'm just like, 
and put it back down. Like that would have been agonizing. Why? Because it was so satisfying. It's so refreshing. It's like, I, I want more of it, right? It's like, I want to dump it on me. Like, I want as much of it as I possibly can. And I promise you guys, that's the way it is with Jesus. If you're content with the amount of Jesus you're getting in your life, I'm not sure you've met the real Jesus. When you meet him, you don't just want him on Sundays. You want him throughout the rest of the week. And again, are there times, are there periods where you're dry? Are there times where you, he feels like he's distant? Sure, but you continue to want more. Whenever you're away from him, you're like David. You say, I'm as a deer panting for water. I'm desperate. Please, please, I've got to feel your presence. Please come back in so that I can experience more of you. We live, guys, in a city and we're included in this, that is desperately looking for satisfaction. They're looking for living water. Every one of us is here today. You know what we're actually looking for? We're looking for Jesus. The thing is, most people don't know that's who they're looking for. For this woman, she's trying to get her thirst quenched. But she's trying to do it through what? Through men. For some of you, it's not men. For some of you, it's women. For others, it's money. Some of you, you're looking for satisfaction in success and popularity. Maybe in your children or your children's success. You're looking for it in sex or social status. Some of you, even today, you're looking for fulfillment in religion. You're looking for it through knocking at your to-do list. Maybe even some of you are looking for it in your missional community through, through just relationships. Listen, guys, ultimately, every single one of those things will f- fail you. Only Jesus Christ can give you what you were longing for. He alone can give you the change that you need. He alone can bring the salvation and the satisfaction we are all longing for. I wonder if you believe that this morning. Or are we just showing up another week? Let's hear some preaching. Let's sing a few songs and let's go on with our business. Having a child changed my life. It didn't change my life as much as meeting Jesus. Are you tired this morning of looking for fulfillment in things that are not doing it for you? I wonder, is there anybody in here today who's exhausted? Anybody in here today who's just searching, grabbing, trying to find satisfaction? Listen, here's the good news, guys. If you're thirsty, all you have to do today is go to Jesus. Because he says, if you come to me, I will give you living water and you will never thirst again. Maybe some of you in here, you doubt that. and You say, well, how is it possible? How if I go to Jesus, will I never thirst again? And here's how. Because after Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life that we could never live, fulfilling all the law, he then went to the cross to die a death we deserve to die. And do you remember what he said when he was on the cross? Jesus yelled out, I thirst. And you see, that wasn't just a physical thirst. That was a spiritual thirst. Because Jesus also cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you realize on the cross, Jesus took the burning sensation of hell for you and for me. He took the fiery wrath of God that we deserve for our sins. Jesus literally on the cross took our cosmic thirst. So that now, whenever we look to him, we can receive the living water that alone will give us the joy and the life and the peace and the satisfaction that we are longing for.
If you believe this, I'm telling you guys, it changes everything. It really will. I promise. You know what will happen if you believe this? Let me tell you what will happen. Money will just become money. Your job will become your job. Men will just become men. Women will just become women. Stuff will just become stuff. All the things that you're trying to build your life on right now that's going to be in a graveyard or a junkyard 100 years from now, you'll stop building your life on it. You will look to Jesus, and I'm telling you, your heart will be filled with joy, and you will grow into the man or the woman, I'm telling you, you long to be. And the good news is today, you don't have to earn this. You don't have to deserve this. Guys, listen, all you have to do is to believe the gospel. All you have to do today is look to Jesus, to trust in his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection on your behalf. He is, I'm telling you, the salvation and the satisfaction that we all need.